I first have a disclosure, and that is that I'm not supposed to preach today, that um, this is uh, Bart Edwards' turn, so he's at home sick. So Bart, I hope you better soon and that you will come and preach about the best shepherd. But uh, therefore, I've changed the text a little bit today and the title. Brothers and sisters, uh, we're going to read from the Gospel according to John chapter 9. The Gospel according to John chapter 9, we're going to read the first 12 verses and then from the Gospel according to John chapter 10. Let us uh, listen to God's word for us this morning. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind, so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work, for, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. From the Gospel according to John chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of the strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who, come before me, uh, all who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Loving God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will strengthen us to be devoted to the teachings of your word, that through it we may hear your voice and follow it into eternal life. Amen. A sign of a man who was healed And a figure of speech 
to explain the meaning of it to those who listened. And still they did not understand what Jesus was saying. But who among us can blame those people? You see, in the two passages we read, we have a whole cast of characters. A blind man and his family, the church, the Pharisees, and the Jewish people of which we didn't read today, and which I would urge you to go and read the rest of chapter 9 of John. There is a thief and a bandit and a shepherd and a sheep and a gatekeeper and a stranger and, of course, the gate. And as I read these two chapters, I saw fascinating pictures in, in my mind. I hope you shared with him as we read it today. From the rejection by a spiritual community of someone who was healed by Jesus. The sneaky entrance into the sheep pen. The, the influence of, of knowing each other's voice. Belonging to someone. Someone saying your name. The audience, brothers and sisters, at this occasion included scribes and Pharisees and disciples and maybe even the blind man who was healed and his family. And they did not understand this simile. And maybe we also struggled to get it. And when we struggle with something in the Bible, we of course go and look at the context in which this happened. Often we will also not really get it, unless the context also speaks to us. That is the reason why I began our reading this morning at the beginning of chapter 9, with the story of a blind man, a man who was born blind, but then met with Jesus, and whose eyesight was restored. Now, John classifies some of his miracles the miracles Jesus performed as signs. Signs that the Messiah of God was actually in this world, actively working to make a change. Among the six or maybe seven signs in John, there are three healings. The official son in chapter four, the layman in chapter five, and the man who was born blind in chapter nine. And then when you get a sign, the sign is followed by a dialogue of the people who were present at this sign. People who were trying to figure out what happened and, and maybe what the sign means. And then this unit of a sign and a dialogue ends with a discourse which is supposed to give the interpretation of what the sign actually means. Now biblical scholars agree that John chapter 9 and 10 should be read as a unit. And so, brothers and sisters, we get a whole new perspective on spiritual blindness and, and salvation and life in abundance. And if we continue to read also of the role of the Good Shepherd in assuring us life in abundance. Nowhere else in the Bible do we get a clearer statement about the purpose and the aim of the ministry of Jesus than here at the end of chapter 10 verse 10, which we read this morning. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, in contrast with everyone else, with everyone and everything who tries to rob God, God's creation and people of life, 
the thieves and the robbers in our reading. And maybe if you get home and you read chapter 9, you will see the complainers who are represented by the Pharisees and the Jewish people. Remember, Jesus did this miracle on the Sabbath day. And of course, the people were not happy. Contrast to, to all these people, Jesus comes to give. And he gives not life, but he gives life in abundance. Not just getting by, but thriving. Not just existence, but joy. Not just a little relief from something, but total freedom. You see, Jesus offers more than we most of the time imagine is possible. Did you notice that in the the chapters, the passages that we read, there's not really much talk about sin. And I, I didn't get it, but nowhere did Jesus say that he came because we are sinners and need forgiveness. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I mean, it doesn't matter where we read in the New Testament, John chapter 3 verse 16, Luke 4 chapter 18 and further. The effective terms for the work of Jesus are not sin and forgiveness, are not punishment and condemnation, but it is always light and life and love and good news and release and recovering of sight and freedom. And now I do believe that our deepest being, our lives and our actions are negatively influenced by sin. But somehow, brothers and sisters, we get so caught up in our own sinfulness and the medieval influence of interpreting salvation as the erasure of sin and failure that we miss that Jesus came to create new life and possibility for the people of God. I'm the gate, Jesus said. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Of course, Jesus as the shepherd, God as the good shepherd is always present to take care and to give us that freedom to go in and to go out. Maybe we have for too long understood salvation as the forgiveness of our sin only so that we keep wallowing in our own sinfulness and and our guilt. It is partly right that it is forgiveness of sin. But if that is all that salvation is to us, dear brothers and sisters, we miss that Jesus offers to us so much more. Jesus offers life in abundance even here and now. Tells us that God is making us new creations with a new life of possibility. That is what salvation is in essence. To take us out of an old existence and put us into a new existence. So that we can be different. Different to the people who don't know us, but also especially to the people who know us. To me, the problem is that Jesus doesn't tell us exactly what love in abundance is. And that brings us to the story of the blind man who was healed. Now remember that in John, a sign is followed by a dialogue as the people try to figure out what it means. 
and that the unit of the sign concludes with a discourse or interpretation of what it actually means. And I have skipped over that long passage of John chapter 19, verse 13 through 41, where everyone tries to figure out what happens. And I began in chapter 10 with a discourse about what the sign in chapter 9 actually means. In other words, brothers and sisters, the section on life abundance belong with the sign of the healing of a man who was born blind. Which should cause us to begin to think that abundant life may be something contextual. Maybe something that belongs and that changes in different contexts. To understand that we need to ask to our text questions like, from what did the man who was born blind need to be saved? We need to question the text of God's word if we want to continue to grow in our faith. And we may find that abundant life and salvation, brothers and sisters, is not vague. It's not something non-descriptive or non-specific, a spiritual something which doesn't save anyone. For the man who was born blind, abundant life is in receiving his sight back. He is saved from being dependent, from being helpless, being a beggar in isolation somewhere on the margins of society. And when Jesus heals him, he saved him from everlasting darkness. Never again would he wonder where his next meal would be com coming from or would answer his pleas as he sits begging outside the city. Now he could know the safety and the security of community. Abundant life to this man who was born blind is to be independent, to be free and to, to have light and new opportunities for living. So can we imagine abundant life? Can we imagine salvation to be contextual? I mean, if it was to be able to see for the man who was born blind, what might salvation and life abundant mean to a child being bullied? Might it be to have an advocate and people who accept them as a peer? For people who are naked or hungry or thirsty, it may be some form of physical help, money, clothes, bread and water. And for people in the neighborhood that, that are historically caught in the grip of unemployment and poverty, maybe dignity and identity. For someone who is in prison or lonely, maybe a companion or someone who visits now and then. Maybe for someone who's retired and homebound, the opportunity to be involved in a worthwhile cause. And however we look at it, brothers and sisters, abundant life may look different in different places and to different people. But it always, always reveals itself in the reaction to whatever seeks to rob God's children of the inheritance of joy and purpose in life. Maybe John wanted his community and us to get that salvation is more than a spiritual experience and spiritual forgiveness from sin. 
but that salvation may be experienced in abundant life which begins here and now. Not one day when we die as a pie in the sky, you know, but right here and now we start to live differently and we experience this abundance of life. Abundant life doesn't come in one package. Like faith, it doesn't come and you have faith immediately as a single experience. But it comes, brothers and sisters, when we eat the invitation to over time live into this new abundant eternal life and take possession of it. To live over time and to, to, to know that our faith is growing, not because we see something bigger, but because we have a different character and a different way of living. It happens only when we actively take part in God's mission and in God's invitation to experience a new way of living. When we make this abundant life a reality to all God's children. To actively look where now we can bring signs and the reality of abundant life into this world and into the world of those who are lacking it. So what is robbing us of life? What is robbing your life today? What prevents you from fully living as one of the followers of Jesus, the Christ, and do that today and tomorrow and every day of your life? Is it the need to hear again about forgiveness? Or being received back into the congregation after sad history? Because you too are a forgiven child of God. What continues to rob people who live in Mount Pleasant in the old village? And those who are living in Charleston North and Charleston County from living life in abundance? The invitation of God and of Christ is to go there and to create in a way life abundant also to other people. You get it, don't you? But maybe more important than is how can we stand with them against those forces that we may all share in this life of abundance that was made a reality in Christ. We have heard our shepherd say why he came and what he wishes for. Jesus used a figure of speech and a riddle. Maybe it was a riddle, I don't know. But did Jesus say he's the gate or the gatekeeper or the shepherd? What do all these metaphors mean at the end of this sermon? Are we still blind to his message? You see, John uses blindness not as a physical limitation, but as a spiritual orientation and openness to the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. People who can see embrace the vision of Jesus. Do we get the vision of Jesus for this world? I have come that they may live and that they may have life and may have that abundantly. Do we get this vision of Jesus? How are we going to be part of making it reality? 
Amen.